0: Gallery. Hey everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So right, so this is, I start all my events with this really corny, cheesy, big group hug, right? So everybody has to turn the camera on because otherwise I have no idea who I'm talking to. No idea whatsoever. Awesome. Hi everybody. Wonderful. Yeah, the, the other thing that, you know, the other thing that we're doing is uh, team nightclub this is great. So, Team Nightclub, my little group of really gifted people, where uh, they're actually teaching me how to use Twitter. I don't know how to use Twitter. I literally, I literally don't know how to use Twitter. And so, my rationale was, you know, there are now eighty-nine million people that 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 need a new leader, right? <laughs> right? Eighty-nine new people. Eighty-nine million people. So, we're going after that eighty-nine million. Somehow I don't think they're my demographic. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so a few little thingies before we get going. Um, I, I have a, a, a presentation with a bunch of academic scientists again today at three o'clock. So I'm gonna have to cut this. Uh, I'll probably go half hour, 45 minutes, mostly Q and A offerings today. And then with Andy and uh, you know, the incredibly gifted talent pool of you, What we finished really with last week was a half hour of of marvelous offerings from you all where you can continue to talk and do your thing. It's great. But um, I need to do a few things to get ready for my silly event at three. So I try to do my best with scheduling but sometimes when all these other people don't have another option, it's either not doing this or shortening it from my end. So thank you for that. Sharon Salzberg, we released, I, we haven't released it yet. I did a recording with her on Sunday. A lot of it, a lot of it was on this stuff um, politics, uh, social activism, spiritual bypassing, everything we're talking about here. I just need to do a little bit of editing with, with Andy, and we're going to try to release that tomorrow um, because it's such a timely conversation with her. Um, for those of you who are nightclub members, we have a community shares thing tomorrow. This is where we bring on really gifted members and they have a platform to share their stuff. Um, The first one with Altair was awesome tomorrow. I think Katie, right? Katie's doing something. She's super cool. Uh, Movie night on Saturday. What's the movie this week, Andy? Uh, The science of sleep. Oh yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. French film. I think. Yeah. um, I've seen it a couple of times. It's quite good. Um, What else? Yeah. We're going to start doing a, guided meditation thing, maybe Monday night. So that'll be a new offering um, around that. And for those of you who may be new to this event, Thursday, that's what we do here. We started it almost 40 some weeks ago with the virus. I had no idea it'd be going this long, but we're just gonna keep going as as long as people kind of show up. So usually what I do is is a very short presentation. Uh, Last week was unusual. I riff for almost an hour. talking about you know um, the, the great elephant in the room. Um, and so this week my, my little riff is gonna be very brief and it's mostly gonna be some cool questions came in. Um, I'm gonna respond to those. There were a bunch of hands raised from last week that we didn't get to. And then like I mentioned, um, I'm just gonna excuse myself and then you guys can just continue without me. Yay. So um, I'm in a great space today. Yesterday was like this massive release, right? It's like, oh my gosh. Even, even like until Wednesday, Tuesday night, I was still like, what can this guy do within 24 hours? It's like, I was still edgy. And so yesterday was, I was just giddy. I don't know if you could tell with all the um, commentators too, the news people, to me, they just, everybody just seemed so much lighter. It seemed like just years of wrinkles had been removed off these people. I don't know how, how some of the, the, these folks like Rachel Maddow, they, I mean, how can they can live in this kind of toxic environment? Um, really not easy. So I thought it was awesome. Lots of tears for me yesterday. Um, I thought Amanda Gorman just knocked it out of the park, like birth of a superstar. I mean, what an amazing young um, poet laureate. And I actually remember, they, they were showing some stuff about her later. And there a tweet came in from Hillary Clinton saying, you know, Amanda for president um, 2036, that you know, like she was so hot that she should run for politics. And my first response was, no, no, don't waste your genius, right? Somewhat joking, you know, don't, don't just think like the, the, the ultimate summit is being you know, the kind of politician. So I, I just chuckled at that, I was like, no, no, don't, don't steal her in the realm of politics, let her radiance shine in the world of literature. And so one thing that I am doing now, a little bit more with with my stuff, and we'll do this for one minute together, is that it's very easy to take what we do, um, and maybe I'm speaking about myself, uh, spirituality, discussions about meditation, philosophy, these sort of academic spiritual things. It's very easy to to get a little bit sterile, um, antiseptic with this spiritual bypassing. And so what I'm doing more and more now with some longer running events like this is for 30 seconds for a minute at the beginning of each presentation, just one minute of silent Tong Lin where, where we just remind ourselves of why we're doing this. Um, yes, for ourselves, for sure, but fundamentally for others, really. And so to keep what we're doing here from becoming too precious, too spiritual, <laughs> um, it's good to you know, put our faces in the dirt, so to speak, a little bit. Um, and so, with every in breath, if you haven't done this incredible, beautiful practice of Tongue with every in breath through every pore of your body, you as a representative of the cosmos breathe in all the anxiety. I mean, you know, I thought one of the most touching, powerful things this week was the ceremony that Biden did with Harris on um, was it Monday night, Tuesday night, I can't remember now you know, where they acknowledge 400,000 people, more than World War II lost um, due to the virus. I thought that was really powerful. Um, And so we can bring them in, we can bring everything else that's happening and then radiate, shine out on your out breath through every pore of your body, Um, light, love, healing, energies and the light. So let's do this together for just a minute to remind ourselves what this stuff is all about. It's not about feeling good unless you're talking about basic goodness. It's about getting real. Getting real means staying in touch with what's happening. So let's do this together for a minute, okay? I'm always reminded of what Rumi, one of my favorite poets, once said, he said, silence is the language of God. All else is poor translation. That's pretty good. It's amazing what can be communicated in silence. So, um, one of the, th- the only thing I really wanted to talk about today again, cause I want to spend most of the time answering the questions, really great questions came in and then responding a little bit to you um, is, you know, there, there's a, a lot of questions I'm getting which, which are great questions. And it's actually what I asked Sharon as well. Um, I asked her point blank. I said, how, how can we reach um, the unreachable? I mean, how, how can we make contact communicate Um, and relate to others, you know, from radically different points of view. Uh, And so one of the ways we do that of course is working with ourselves and listening to ourselves and making communication and contact with our own spectrum of being and realizing that, you know, every um, really human being on this planet shares a very similar spectrum of mind and being, and and that um, it's really levels of degree. Uh, so for instance, an extreme example would be mental illness, mental disorders that, you know, I think really the most elegant forms of psychological thought are those that really talk about positive psychology and that sort of thing, where we all have within us potentials for psychosis, schizophrenia, bipolar, you name it. It's just, we all have a propensities even for dissociative identity disorder, derealization, depersonalization, multiple personality. We all have those capacities. It's just a matter of you know what's nurtured. This is why I'm so into this whole thing on epigenetics right now, how it is that environment on a biological level, genetic expression is actually um, invoked by environmental conditions. Um, and so environment is what brings out these types of beings and behaviors. And so, um, stepping into another person's shoes, uh, you know, sometimes the phrase is storying their existence. In other words, like I mentioned, I think last week, you know, what would, what would you have been like, had you been put in the exactly the same conditions that, Ted Cruz and Holly and Trump and these other people that right now we don't really, maybe I'm being a little bit presumptuous thinking we all think this way, maybe I'm just revealing my bias. You know, the nurture nature thing. Um, how much does nature come in, I should say, how much does nurture come in to affect the expression of nature? And so um, these are a couple of things that came to my mind. And also I think if there's a somewhat irreducible component to this and the application of this is not so simple. It's education, 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 you know, understanding the role of development, understanding the role of psychology, understanding the role of spirituality, because in my view, they're all on a spectrum. And so by this, what I mean is that ego is an arrested form of development. And so when we have these outrageous expressions of ego, it's a developmental issue. And so, um, easier said than done, but you know, at the heart of it is education, and this is where it gets extremely tricky. Um, because when you talk about education and you talk about levels of development, it's almost impossible not to flip into um, issues of the Dodd, um, hierarchy. But you know, you just have to look honestly at. Uh, evolution, phylogenetic, and autogenetic, not just as it arises within our own being, but as it arises historically, that there is this thing called evolution. Um, and, you know, uh, an adult is in many ways, and this is a very interesting potential topic for conversation, and a more evolved being than, than an infant, in many ways, not always. And so, therefore, um, you know, development is, is absolutely critical in hundreds and hundreds of extremely intelligent, sophisticated anthropologists, developmental psychologists, social scientists um, have without equivocation showed Piaget, Kohlberg, Levenger. I mean, literally hundreds, if not thousands of very sophisticated thinkers have shown that there is this spectrum of evolution, the spectrum of development. So to me, this is extremely subtle. I think it's super important, but implementing it is very difficult because when you start talking about development, and developmental stages, then you get hierarchy. Hierarchy is an articulation. It doesn't have to be dominator hierarchy. So that is usually what happens is that when you speak about hierarchy, of course, I mean, almost by default, um, most of us, um, and this is again where it's helpful to be really humble and honest with our own assessments, you know, what we do, we think is the best. we you know, we may not feel we're the highest, but we're, we think we're just involved most of us you know, in, in um, kind of enterprises that are um, the best. They may not be the best for everybody, they're best for, they're best for us, otherwise we wouldn't be doing them. But then of course is this projection imputation that maybe it's best for everybody. And that's where things get tricky. So development to me is absolutely critical because ego, which is where all this stuff is coming from, is really just a form of development. There's nothing inherently wrong with ego. In fact, if you didn't have ego, you wouldn't be here. You need to be somebody before you can be nobody. The issue is integrating that, contextualizing it, um, keeping the ego in in understanding that it's just a spectrum, it's a frequency of of human development. Then you go to trans ego, transpersonal spiritual developments in dimensions. And so the real trick here is again, um, working with the issue of hierarchy, not all hierarchies are dominator hierarchies where it's top down. We're the highest than just, that's why they're called dominator hierarchies. You can also use hierarchy as actualization hierarchy, where if you understand, like for me, I sit at the feet of, of men and women that I consider to be really pretty evolved beings, really evolved spiritual, psycho, psychologically, actually more spiritually, really really evolved beings. And because I, I understand and abide by actualization hierarchy, I use these, these more evolved beings as inspirations, like I wanna be like that. Um, and, and so I just wanted to throw that a little bit into the mix, it's a, a colossally important topic, um, but I think it's, it's integral in terms of understanding how we can actually start to communicate, listen to others, education obviously is, is at least obviously to me is critical to the whole enterprise, understanding the role of development, um, psychological, spiritual, and otherwise, and then all of the promise and peril of that type of thing, including these issues of hierarchy. So that, that's my riff for today. I wanna to turn to some of these questions that were really good and then um, open the door. I, I probably can't get to every single one of them today, but I, the, every, every question that comes in, I have it on a Word doc. The ones that I answer, Andy highlights, the ones that I can't get to, they get put to the top of the list for next week. So don't worry, we will answer all your questions. So, from Tim, most of my life, I have tried to be apolitical and to follow the middle way and stay balanced on the path. I'm curious, Tim, if you're listening, what the middle way you're referring to here. Um, So if you can come on and say what you mean specifically in this relationship to middle way, that would be helpful. So back to Tim, it seems difficult to do nowadays, but don't you think it's still worth trying to do? Uh, the worth trying to do being apolitical or following the middle way? That's not totally clear to me. So maybe you could help me with that. Our country is so polarized, don't you think it's worthwhile to keep our balance rather than getting swept up into one to the polarized extremes? That part is to me, yes, absolutely, um, 100%. And, you know, if I'm understanding your question here, Tim, the, the one of the problems with becoming apolitical, and this is, again, Um, could be a form of of, of bypassing spiritual bypassing is that apolitical can be apathetic. In other words, apathetic, where it can easily slide into inactivism activism and and really various forms of bypassing. So um, I think the trick is you can still step in without getting swept away into polarized extremes. And so by this, what I mean, and I was was actually writing about this just this morning to, to put it into a historical Traditional context. And this is where I think the Hindu teachings on what's called Turiya and Turiyatita are super helpful. So, this is a really large spiritual framework for addressing your question. So, Turiya is called the fourth, literally. It, it basically alludes in many um, wisdom traditions, the fourth Turiya is considered the apex of the whole um, evolutionary spiritual thing. It's somehow, you know, removing yourself extricating yourself from the messiness, the dirtiness of conditioned reality and and accessing a sublime spiritual state of mind. Um, there's tremendous provisional validity to that. you know accessing these com- completely pure pristine states of mind which again a lot of traditions that's that's the heaven principle. that's the heaven principle that has provisional validity but that, what do you do with hell if you just hang out in heaven? And so, um, as powerful as, as even traditions like Advaita Vedanta, which is primarily a turiya type of approach at least in my understanding. <clears throat> one massive limitation to that is again like, like I started at the very outset with Tong Lin Well then what do you do with your precious spirituality? Um, in Buddhism this is the archetypal trap of the arhat um, where you you know you attain your, your ultimate benefit and the rest of the world goes you know to crap so The great transformation from Turiya to Turiyatita is, Turiyatita is is sometimes called the fifth, beyond the fourth, that's literally what it means. But it doesn't mean the fifth, it doesn't mean something even more removed. No, what's brilliant about Turiyatita is you take take your emptiness, you take your spiritual realization, that's the fruition of of the fourth Turiya, that's a transcendent. Transcendence can very easily become transcendentalism in the, next, in, the, in the pejorative sense, where you don't transcend but include, you transcend but exclude. Um, and that's a real problem. That is a colossal problem in the spiritual business. So I love the teachings on triatita Beyond the fourth means you take the wisdom of the fourth and then you come back into form. You take your uh, wisdom and you step into politics, you step into the world as, as an enlightened political sattva, eco-sattva, bodhisattva. Um, and in fact, you know, beautifully summarized in Suzuki Roshi, a famous beautiful statement related to this, when he said, strictly speaking, there are no enlightened beings, there's only enlightened activity. That's a fantastic statement. So enlightened activity, enlightened activism, um, enlightened thinking, There is a way to think non dualistically, is is in fact to take this realization and then reincarnate, come back into form, come back into politics, come back into science, come back into the world um, in an imminent way, not just a transcendent way. I think this is super important because, you know, right now, in my opinion, and this is just me, um, now is not the time to stay completely chilled out, right, in your precious retreat. And again, I speak for myself here too. When the world is in a blast furnace, again, my dear friend, David Loy, of what relevance is our spirituality if that's all we can do with it? You know, Buddhism will go extinct. These wisdom traditions will go extinct or they're gonna go so far underground um, if they can't be applied. This is my take on it. And so this is why I love David's work. I'm I'm more and more interested in in enlightened activism and what that really means. And because this is so important, Tim, please understand, I'm not in any way dismissing or criticizing the evolutionary ascent into the Dharmakaya, into the fourth, into this pristine heaven. Absolutely necessary to do that type of retreat. But if you just keep retreating, you're escaping. So at a certain point, you you pull, and it's a wonderful play on words, you pull a wicked-ass U-turn, where the U-turn here is a Y-O-U, turn you you come back you pull that u-turn to be a benefit to others so um maybe that's what you're referring to i i I don't think i see tim he
1: he wrote in the chat to me the middle way is not going to either extreme
0: yeah that's what i was thinking yeah exactly tim so i completely agree with you and so you won't fall into any extreme um if you hold this type of right view where, and, and you know, unfortunately it's very easy to capitulate and become kind of spiritual extremists. Um, you know, extremism is rampant as long as ego is rampant. So um, that's my riff on this, my friend. <clears throat> I think we're probably on the same page. Oh, this is a good one from Nicole. These questions are so great. Why I appreciate your political session regarding the recent insurrection, I do not see how Twitter banning Trump will make things more equitable in our society. If anything, it stifles all of our citizens' First Amendment rights, it's very dangerous. Uh, I thought you might be interested in the below YouTube podcast between Chris Hedges, blah, blah, blah. Um, Yeah, maybe you can post that. I, I haven't listened to that, I apologize. Beware it is very truthful and may offend those who fervently believe in our two-party system. Ah, now's a time to be offended, Nicole, don't you think? (laughs) So great question here. Again, I'm speaking a little bit more. I I try to centrifuge out. You know, when I attempt to act in my pathetic way as a representative of the the wisdom traditions is I have come to understand them. And of course, who knows if my understanding is accurate. I try to centrifuge that out from my own personal stuff, my own biases, my own views. So now I'm speaking from my bias, my view, that I think uh, banning Trump from Twitter is one of the best things that happened. Um, banning him from Facebook, banning him from all these platforms was one of the best things that happened. And here's why. Again, coming back to this developmental notion, until ego is transcended, and that's what Trump represented. Trump represented Rudra, the opposite of Buddha. The absolute antithesis of Buddha is Rudra, super ego, not in a Freudian sense, in a pejorative pathological sense. So until ego is transcended, it needs to be regulated. That's that's why we, even at the religious level, and I, I've done some research on this. I was doing some research on, on, I'm writing two books. So one of my books, I did quite a bit of research on this topic about um, the kind of the archetype, the, the principle of regulation, regulatory agencies and how every world's religion that, that I studied bar none has some form of restraining orders. They have their built in regulatory agencies in terms of like the 10 commandments, the five precepts, the Quran, every tradition I studied has their version of restraining orders. And this is completely in line with the four karmas that I talked about last week, the four types of action karma that don't create karma, pacifying, enriching, magnetizing, destroying. Um, There is a place for the power of restraint. I mean, I, I have been, I mean, there's so many examples here, extreme examples, I've been around dying people who are so resistant to the death process um, that they, they literally become violent. They have to be restrained. You literally have to, to hit them with the, with the sedatives, the, the benzodiazepines and others, almost put them in a straitjacket, strap them down because they will hurt themselves and others. It's exactly what Trump has been doing in my estimation, hurting himself and others. And so to me, Nicole, my bias, he needs to be restrained. And even further, and this, sometimes people go, geez, well, what's spiritual about this? Well, it's really spiritual. And again, listen to the interview, the podcast that Sam Harris did last week. He, he, he didn't use this terminology, but I totally agree with him. There are times when you have to take these people out. I'm not saying Trump. I am not espousing that. This is where I am speaking as, as a representative of the tradition. There is a place for the karma of destruction. And so if racism and hate and violence and Deception and lies and fake news is being promulgated. Where, where's, the, where's the, you know, irrespective of First Amendment's right, where's the, the skillful means in that? Conspiracy theories, you know, I don't see no skillful means in just allowing them to propagate that. They need to be muzzled, in my opinion. You need these restraining orders. Ego needs regulatory agencies. And that's why we have them at all these different levels. So I politely disagree with you. But, you know, like Biden said yesterday, we can fiercely disagree and still have a conversation. This is the sense of debate, dialectic conversation. So that's just my view. Okay, a couple more. And then, unfortunately, this is great. This is just terrific. I get to say all these really charged, potentially incendiary things. And then, guess what? I'm out of here. <laughs> I got this all sussed out, man. No, honestly, I, I will come back and I will engage every aspect. I'm just being a little smart ale here. So from Laura, my question is how to discern, oh yeah, connected. How to discern how and when a kind of a tough love fourth response, the karma of destruction is called for. What does it look like how can you measure that? How, uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, this is, a, this is such an important topic and it's so charged um, as you might suspect, you know? So it's, it's fundamentally, excuse me, Laura, when nothing else works, when nothing else works. When you go through the pacifying, you go through the enriching, you go through the magnetizing, and it doesn't work. And so what immediately comes to mind, I I watched this amazing series last year, right when the pandemic started, like a 10-part PBS series that blew me away on World War II. Uh, It was just riveting. And one of the things that comes to mind around this is when Chamberlain tried to appease Hitler, remember? Remember? He went over there and signed all these things and he came back beaming, you know, I've got him under control. We've met, we met, you didn't use the terms, but basically, we pacified him, we enriched him, we magnetized him, we're good. They weren't good, right? They weren't good. The three karmas didn't work. And so, there's, there's one of, you know, with that as an example, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of examples just like this, um, where, you know, you, you go through these uh, more kind of genteel ways of relating, communicating. And if that doesn't work, and and there's still this raging Rudra-level egoic expression, the karma of of destruction is the only um, way to go. Okay? Only thing left. I'm speeding through. You know, this is, again, the challenge with these sorts of things. These questions are so good. Uh, Literally, you could do a whole course easy. You could do an easy whole course on the four karmas and their application. It's incredibly important material. So please forgive me if I can't just exhaustively answer these. So, I know these questions are all tied into, this is great. So from Meskel, understanding the alienation and disenfranchisement of straight white men is an important process. They reign supreme since the beginning of human history but are now told by their culture that they don't count that those whom they once enjoyed subjugating and disparaging reign, uh, that those whom they once enjoyed subjugating and disparaging reign and that they must change. Their anger is understandable. How do we hug them, let them cry in our arms and bring them back into the humanistic fold? What a great question. I asked Sharon Salzberg point blank this exact question. How How do we bring them back into the fold? Can we bring them back into the fold? So really, oh, what a fantastic question. This is again, the $64,000 question. Um, when we post Sharon's, and I'm gonna try to do it tomorrow, um, we're gonna, I'm gonna post Sharon's uh, conversation hopefully tomorrow. We talk about this a lot. To me, again, it, it has to do with this, this starting and end with education, understanding the role of development Understanding the extreme importance of being able to listen. This is one reason, no exaggeration. As hard as it is for me, and trust me, it is not easy. I have like, in a certain sense, I was gonna say brace myself when I listen to Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson and people that I just, I, I can't stand. I brace myself with space. And I I go into these environments where I have to, you know, I try to listen to things that are so antithetical to my views. I feel the contraction. I feel the revulsion. I feel the impulse to throw my shoe at the TV screen. And and I say, well, listen, if I can't even listen to these people, how can I communicate with them? How can I ever embrace them? How can I love them? And so this is the type of reverse meditation that I, I actually work with. Um, like any reverse meditation, it's not easy, but it's really powerful. So, you know, we have to, under, in my estimation, understand the, um, the importance of development, the understanding the power of love, most powerful force in the universe. But sometimes this just doesn't work. Um, sometimes people, and you, you can see this in, in really extreme cases, and that's why I was talking about earlier, we all represent these bandwidths of extreme. Tama Chodron talks about this. I mean, in in one of her talks, I can't remember where, she said, you know, we each of us has a murderer within us. Each of us has a child abuser within us. You know, we have a little devil and a little divinity within us. And so what environment, talk about epigenetics, right? What environment do we put that psychic gene in? Do we put that in an environment like a stem cell that cultivates that? That's probably what happened to Trump and all these people, I mean, I can't say. Maybe, you know, they have that little devil in them like we all do. And they were put in, into an, an epigenetic environment, i.e. the upbringing. Read Mary Trump's book, How My Family Created the World's Most Dangerous Man. I was blown away by her insights, by the way. She was so spot on. So, um, you know, all this stuff helps us understand, develop empathy and compassion for others that have different histories, different storylines different epigenetic frameworks that actually then invoke not just merely genetic expression, but psychic and psychological expression. And then you get these results. We all have that capacity. So if we understand that, then we can develop a little bit of empathy and compassion, but sometimes people are so invested, so solid, so extreme, such extremists, you can think again, really, really extreme examples would be like a serial killer. You know someone who's just so solid that they're they're unworkable, um, and then you know you're left with the fourth karma. And so on, a, on, a, on a, maybe a slightly softer example, a very famous statement in the world of science and what actually constitutes evolution and, and, and uh, development in the world of science, because science again is is this is a, uh, is created by scientists. And one I can't remember who said it. Um, probably some, someone like Popper or Karl Popper, or who knows, I can't remember, um, where he said science progresses funeral by funeral. <laughs> what an amazing statement. In other words, it's only when the old guard dies off and their, their tremendous grip on the old scientific paradigms that actually science can be freed up to go forward. So, I'm kind of peppering in different examples from a number of different circles. And oh my gosh, oh, this stuff is so great you guys, but I, I, I apologize, I, um, it's either that or I just rescheduled the whole thing for today and I didn't wanna do that. So um, the questions that were still in the pipeline and the people that were still online with raised questions from last week, we'll get to you all, I promise. But um, I hope you understand in terms of practicing empathy and compassion for me because it's all about me. I have to prepare for this this event um, in an hour. Um, So I do apologize for that. And I honestly, somewhat tongue in cheek, I do not mean to land some of these incendiary comments without providing an opportunity for discussion. I was being a little bit smart-alecky there. Um, So I I absolutely positively write your questions in here. I will get them to them next week. But we've got some super gifted people that are listening here Um, and I'm going to, uh, let Andy uh, empower you to, you know, talk amongst yourself. We're going to record this. Uh, we, are we Are we recording this, Andy? Yeah. And so what I can do then is I can come back and listen um, to what I'm missing. And then next week when we come back, um, we'll be able to unpack this stuff even further. I think this stuff is really important right now. Um, you know, it, it's just this colossal sets of elephants. It's not one elephant in the room, right? As Biden said yesterday, I mean, we got a bunch of elephants in this room, right? And so um, to whatever extent we can continue to communicate amongst ourselves in topics that are really super important and really charged. And so the, the one guideline I might recommend that I mentioned last week is that before you ask your question, and so again, the offerings last week that last half, last half hour from last week, I hardly said anything because the, the contributions were so awesome that I, I invite you to make, this is a platform for now, I will listen to the recording. As one small guideline for me, I might recommend before you um, express your question, take a one breath meditation session, touch into what you're feeling, um, try to separate out reactivity from response ability. This is what I do. Um, If I feel contraction, if I feel a real charge, I might take two one breath meditations. I might take five to connect to what I'm really feeling. So I just don't spew out some kind of reactive egoic thing. And I get these sorts of things. Anybody who's ever taught or, you know, it's, it's kind of unbelievable sometimes the, the sorts of messages I get from people. <laughs> it's like, really? Didn't you like walk around the block before you sent me that note? <laughs> I'm okay with it, but it's like, really? So with that in mind, before you make your contribution, take a pause. Touch into what you're feeling. Speak from your heart. Notice that near enemy of reactivity and contraction, breathe into that, and then speak your truth. And if other people get offended, check into that. What is it that's offending you? Why are you feeling offended? There is again a place for being offended, but then from that level, do we in fact become offensive or defensive in reactivity to that? Or can we in fact be big enough to hold it, relate to it instead of from it, and then engage in in, in constructive discourse. Is is almost kindergarten level communication as this is, honestly, this would solve 99% of the world's problems. If people could just take ownership of their, their feelings, their reactivities, their projections, their hopes, their fears, their imputations, connect to what's really happening, speak from that space, this is great for any disarmament conversation, even with your partner, with your boss, inner disarmament, take responsibility for that feeling within you and then be fearless, speak your heart, speak your truth. So I apologize for having to run. I hope you understand. I will listen to the recordings and anything I said today, um, really ask a question, put it in the, the chat, we'll convert it into the doc. We're gonna come back to this next week, but because of my presentation and, and just a wee bit over an hour, I've gotta prep a little bit. So I apologize for that. Okay, everybody. So Andy's gonna, he's a great moderator. Um, again, the, the contributions last week were so good. I didn't really say anything pretty much after I stopped. Um, so please feel free to continue. I will listen to the stuff later. Um, and otherwise I'll see you all next week. Thank you so much for giving me permission to scooch out.
1: All right. So the floor is open. Um, feel free to type it into the chat, which I can read aloud, or raise your hand, and I could give you the audio. OK. Ted said he would like to repeat something Professor Thurman said in the Bardo of Becoming. Ted, I'm going to give you the audio.
2: Hi Andy. Hey, um, you know, this is something that I've been working on for many, many years, this um, ability to put myself in the shoes of other people. And in the Bardo of becoming, Dr. Er, Professor Thurman said something that really resonated with me when he was talking about, about Trump, a question came up. And he said, we need to vote him out of office for his own sake. Um, that the karma which he is creating, and and I'm, I'm paraphrasing what he said, but it really struck home for what I try to do. But he said the karma that he is creating for himself and for others is going to lead to just an unbelievable in in buddhist terms um, time in the hell realms and and you know that's one of the ways that it's helped me get through this incredibly difficult time um, that we're, that we're living through and it's really doing it for his benefit um and that's, uh, that's all I have to say. It's just sort of a repeat of what he said that really struck me.
1: Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Ted. Peter also said that's a great insight. So thank you for sharing. Um, all right, Myra has her hand up. So I'll bring in Myra next.
3: Hi, um, and Ted, um, Andrew was talking last week about that um, story of the Buddha saving the people that they were in that ship because he knew that they were going to be killed. And we always focus in the people that were going to be killed. However, what the Buddha thought in the story is that he also wanted to liberate that person that was going to kill others of the karma of doing that. So that goes together with that story that, um, I mean, the way that Ted felt about um, Trump. But I also wanted to bring the attention because I work in the immigration field. That's been my, that's what I do. Um, And immigration um, has brought me to face my demons in terms of what I do and the way that I feel about what the treatment that my clients were receiving, the children that were separated and everything that is happening. For example, once a person was placed in proceedings in court, had less than 8% chance of winning a case, even though he had been here for 15 or 20 years, was a mother or grandfather, paid taxes or whatever happened. Um, And what I wanted to bring is that we all think about the other, but I think it's our own fear. And we have to recognize that we all have the potential for that same kind of behavior. And we have to kind of take responsibility of what is happening because this didn't happen all of a sudden. This began a long time ago. This civil war really never ended. And that's what we've been living through. Um, and, and I will say that as relief as I am right now, the, the job is just beginning today. This didn't end. This is just the beginning. The stains are there, and there are behaviors that are patterns. And there are patterns that, you know, if we go to the book that uh, Andrew has been mentioning in terms of epidemiology, is the trauma of our country. And that is in the genes of these people and their family members, their neighbors, they are good people that we share with. So I invite to just rejoice in that and knowing that if we're thinking about karma and seeds, the good seeds yesterday ripen, we have a new precedent and now we have to begin to see the future because this, that, those seeds are spent. And it's up to us what's coming. And uh, if I see it like today already, I can feel it in my immigration practice and the calls that I'm receiving. And the ICE officers that were given all these bad instructions, all of a sudden they wrote him a memo and now you cannot deport anybody for a hundred days. That doesn't happen like that. It it, it is so deep. The trauma is so deep. And I invite all of us to, um, even if it's a little bit, even if it's a smile, know that we're just beginning and that what the president said yesterday, this, the dark days are just still to come. We are, have, we are in the darkest part of the night and we have hope what is up to us. So I guess you can tell that I'm very passionate about what this is. <laughs> Thank you for listening. And I invite any questions that you guys may have regarding immigration and the way that it's happening.
1: Thanks so much, Myra. And uh, Michelle said in the chat, um, I agree, we should speak our truth. And I would add, we, also, we need to also listen to be changed. When we deeply hear the truth of others, it can transform us in ways we don't expect.
3: Right. And I think if we do recognize that we all have that potential and that even from this righteous way of us doing things, it, there's a lot of the same color. And we have to take responsibility for that side of ourselves.
1: All right, next, I'm going to bring in Keenan.
4: Oh, hi, everybody. Uh, thank you for the beautiful points. Uh, I thought I'll, uh, I was going to ask Andrew something or share some contemplations about this subject. And I thought I'll just share with everyone here a couple of themes that I've been, uh, contemplating around this is, you know, at what point, uh, in history did we have like perfect scenario just as a contemplation. And, um, you know, it, to me, it seems like always there has been some kind of a fl- flux of, uh, not a perfect society or not perfection for a long time. It always seems like a sort of an ebb and flow. So, um, not to think of it in a way of pessimism, but just wanted me to contemplate and see uh, if, uh, if trying to uh, seek, you know, a perfect civilization itself is, uh, um, is, is problematic or unrealistic. And the second thing um, is, um, you know, as spiritual aspirants here, especially with Andrew, we speak a lot about the foundational aspects of uh, reality. Um, and, uh, that's at the subtle level, not at the gross level. And even, um, in quantum physics or in science, you have quantum physics, the entanglement, the spooky action or distance, all that stuff. So the thing that I've been wondering about is when thinking about at what level should one act, um, it's, you know, it seems like most people would have a bias to act at the physical level, at the gross level. And I was just trying to seek examples of where um, um, work happens at the subtle level that actually does impact perhaps it should, should impact, you know, um, being a spiritual aspirant should impact in, in a bigger way. So I'm just trying to, to, to find examples that I wanted to ask Andrew and maybe you guys, if you have such examples or how you feel about that um, of, you know, activism at the subtle level does does me meditating and doing Tonglen actually have powerful ripples that actually transform the the gross world and there are ways to actually measure that in uh, in some way just to kind of have that clarity um, on where one's time uh, has to be spent more at least for someone who doesn't feel that they have uh, transformed themselves so thank you
1: Thanks, Keenan. Thanks for that. I could share a personal story. It's a little bit funny, but uh, when I was first when I first learned about tonglen, I don't think I, I necessarily had the right view about um, how to take in the suffering or you know these dark clouds. And actually, what started happening is all this bad stuff started to happen. You know, in my life, um, little things, but kind of funny things. So, um, but yeah. So I just wanted to to share that because um, I wasn't relating to it properly. And I did see some sort of results.
4: Right, right, right on. (laughs) Absolutely.
5: Um,
4: Okay. I'm going to read some more of the chat. Uh,
1: Jill said, if those traits were not part of ourselves, we would never recognize it. I think that's well said. And Stephanie said, so important and insightful, Myra. Thanks for calling attention to that. And I think your view applies to many aspects of American life, in addition to immigration. And I see Barbara's hand just went up. So let me give the audio to Barbara.
6: Can you hear me?
7: Yeah. Oh. Okay, um, I just wanted to say that I've been thinking a lot about um, trying to understand this whole white supremacy issue because I think that is such a huge part of what is going on with, with behind the scenes in the minds of, and of all of these people that are on the right. And it's, it's so fear-based. And one thing that really has helped me um, was reading the book by Isabel uh, Wilkinson called Caste, and she um, uh, she's a really good writer. She won the Pulitzer for her previous book, uh, The Warmth of Other Suns, but in the book Caste, what she does is talk about the caste system in India and in Nazi Germany and in this country, and You know, for someone who sort of thought that I wasn't racist, (laughs) we like to all think we're not racist, but it was a revelation to, it was not an easy book to read. It's a very well-written book, but it's emotionally difficult because what comes out is all of the very subtle, internal um, things that we've all inherited just by being born into this situation. And she has this incredible analogy in there where she talk, talks about how we've all inherited this old house that's falling apart <laughs> as huge issues. We didn't, we're not, we didn't really create the house, but we inherited it. And now there's a flood in the basement and nobody wants to go down there. And I thought that is like so much what it's like. And unless we each as individuals can really go within ourselves to understand all of these subtle levels about our role in, in racism and what's happened or understand what it's like for a black person or a native American person that has endured the 400 years of incredible, painful, Um, all the painful stuff that's happened. I think that there's just so much healing that needs to be done in this. And it's been really challenging for me personally to, um, you know, like go to those dark places in me and feel those things and feel the incredible sadness and sorrow and shame or whatever that comes out from this. But Also that how I as sort of a white looking bitch (laughs) can start to really bond with black women. Um, This is one thing that I'm personally um, working on because I think that um, on a relative level, well, first there's the, the internal subtler level of emotions and within our bodies of what we're holding related to this. But then on the relative level of action, like how do we really reach out and connect um, and engage with people and communicate with people and then how do we start to understand all the people who are white and threatened because what's happening is, is as races move into being the majority in this country instead of the minority these white people are feeling like they have lost their rightful place. They are fearfully threatened. And this is why they're so intensely um, feel that they could fight for what they feel is their right, even if they're gonna die. And so I'm just seeing these huge um, deep things that need to be healed. And I don't have answers, but that's what I just wanted to throw out there.
1: Thanks so much, Barbara. Thanks for doing that work. I thought Judith had her hand up, but I just went down. So, oh, there you are again, Judith. Can you hear me? Yes.
6: Yeah. I wondered if anybody had any thoughts about um, spiritual intervention that doesn't actually, you know, come from us and our own work, uh, our own meditation and Tonglin, but actually comes from another source. I've kind of felt it sometimes, but I don't know whether it's real. Um, And I think if you're a historian, you go back and you see times in history where things have just flipped. They flip for the good, and there's no real explanation. I think there was something that I read about the Gettysburg, uh, the whole Gettysburg um, event, that there are some people who think that there was spiritual invention, especially Rudolf Steiner. Um, So I wondered if anybody else has any thoughts about that, because it was my immediately immediate thought when Georgia, we won that was, oh, maybe there was some spiritual intervention there. So if anybody has any thoughts about that, I'd love to hear it.
1: Yeah, thanks, Judy. Um, Yeah, feel free to type any comments in the chat or come on and raise your hand. Um, I see Kat wants to come on. So let me bring in Cat next. Hi, Cat. Are you there? All right. Let me try one more time.
2: Mm, You're unmuted, Kat.
8: There is a sequence uh, that came to mind when Keenan was speaking um, that I know is taught in some Buddhist systems. And I try to use it all the time. I'm getting better at it as I go. But the whole idea of which level to respond through, is incredibly challenging for me. And so I, I go back to this system, which is based on elements, chakras, everybody's got different language, but the idea in contemplation meditation is to start out beyond the head in the space element and when All of the energy is tuned to that. Drop down a little bit into the qualities that you want to express. The immeasurables always work. Contemplating each of the four immeasurables so that that's fully awake and pulsing through the system. That is what I wanna bring into the world and then go into the heart to feel what, and what I want to care about, how I want to feel about that. Then when you get into the fire in the belly, what in the world is, am I, what is ready to be acted on? What do I have the resources and the skills? to be able to do right now. And once all of the transcendence moves through the qualities and into the options, then it almost becomes inevitable that that intention will flow through the earth element into the world in the highest possible vibration for that person. And as I said, I'm not qualified to teach it. I'm barely qualified to even say it. Um, but it felt really, really important here. Yeah, I really responded to Keenan's question.
1: Thank you for sharing that, Kat. And I see Keenan has his hand back up, so let's bring him back in. And then we'll get to <laughs> some of the other hands as well.
4: Hey, thank you for. Um... That, that, that meditation, it just, uh, you know, made me contemplate and think about it. And thanks to Andy, we have the transcript here. So I'll we'll have a chance to, I'll we'll have the chance to go back and uh, and read it. Um, one of the thoughts that came to what Judith was sharing was uh, I haven't been too much tapped into this, but uh, I did hear, I believe it's Stacey Abrams um in, in Georgia's and her efforts and stuff, and I hear, heard a a little bit uh, a talk of her on a on a panel of a TV show um, called Supernatural. So what I guess what I wanted to share was it was very interesting for me. I was kind of like surprised to see her there, and the the conversation was about what was happening in Georgia. And this is like a couple of months ago or a month and a half ago. And uh, she seems quite spiritually inclined and uh, into comic-con and a lot of this you know marvel hero and stuff and what she was sharing was that she really was taking those personas that would appear in fantasy like that heroicness and that was her source of inspiration for what's what was she the work that she was doing in the political arena so um, i thought maybe that that was relevant because for her that that mindscape was very real of uh uh, you know, those trials and tribulations that the heroes face versus what she was doing in her in her life. So maybe it does, did have an impact.
1: Thanks for adding that, Keenan. Um, I see Sophie in the chat wrote, I thought RGB intervened. I thought that was pretty funny. And um, it could have also been the fly that landed on Mike Pence's head. I saw that the fly might have intervened too. Um, David said he gave a public talk on that subject. So let's bring in David next and then we'll bring in Karina. Hi.
9: (laughs) Hi. Um, Yes, a few years ago, I I gave a talk on just what Judith was talking about, except um, I was really focusing on the... The, the really direct obvious, not sort of the mysterious aspects of spiritual practice. And um, the, the the talk um, was at a climate change multi-faith gathering but it, it I, I focused on civil rights issues. And I talked about three times in recent history in which there were dramatic changes in civil rights issues. And one was when the um, English slave trade was um, ended and it was over economic issues somewhat, but it was, most of that was led by spiritual groups, Quakers and others who had decided it was unethical, but they used economic uh, arguments to convince the um, Britain to uh, stop the, the, the slave trade and, um, and, so another one was uh, the, the American Civil War, and it was church groups that were uh, the primary supporters of the Underground Railroad, for instance, um, both in the United States and Canada. And, and they were arguing uh, for these changes and supporting the causes and were heavily influencing people, including Abraham Lincoln. But it was the direct actions that I'm talking about, how they, w- they were involved in uh, in saying it from the p- uh, pulpit again and again and again. But again, there were economic issues because it turned out that the North uh, wanted to process the cotton trade by uh, using cotton gins and the South wanted to keep the slaves doing the same work. So uh, an economic component, and you had to make the economic argument as well, the two together. And then the, the third was, during the, um, the time of Martin Luther King and probably just before um, uh, following the um, Russian revolution and the rise of Stalin and Trotsky when they were um, first off discussing whether um, black issues, civil rights needed to be part of the socialist communist approach or whether they could stand on their own um, and um, you know, I, I believe they really should have been more involved in socialist instead of standing on their own. But still, the point was that, and there were a lot of church groups. It was the church groups were fostering this argument, because, uh, and so it's an economic issue again. And Martin Luther King embraced it, and Gandhi's approaches were economic as well as spiritual combined. So marrying that together, and we can look at that right now. It's economic issues. Uh, transformation of our world in terms of, are we gonna transformation away from the economics of oil and capitalism and corporatism and um, extreme inequity into a society that might be more spiritually set up um, as eco-socialism, for instance, where smaller groups, it's not, it's not based on the, the giant capitalist economic system which is just there to take money away from individuals and communities and put it in the hands of people like Bezos and others. And we've been through that argument again and again and again, and it causes collapses every time we let it go. Um, And I could talk talk about that too, but I'm not going to. But uh, so does that answer what you wanted to know, Judith? I think maybe it does. And we we found that in Georgia too, because in Georgia, uh, a transformation in the voting towards the two senators happened when the the Democrats started just saying, look, if we win here, we're gonna give every person uh, $2,000 in um, um, uh, COVID aid. Uh, And when they promised that, the numbers switched. It was always a tight race, but it was the switch from there and it was engineered out of these women, black women from the church groups that were fighting. Combination of economics and spirituality. And I think as Buddhists, we need to get on the ball and just air, all of our Buddhist organizations and all need to come out and tie those two together because we're pretty damn awfully elitist and tied into the current economic systems and not really, and we're doing exactly the same things that Andrew was talking about. We're, we're just terrible about it. Um, so, <laughs> sorry to be blunt, thanks. Thanks for your contribution, David.
1: Um, let me let Judith respond real quick and then Karina, I promise I'll bring you in next.
6: Yeah, thanks so much. That was really helpful. So what you're saying is there needs to be a moral impetus first, and then you use the economic situation as uh, persuading people that, that that's the way to go. Um, but I know that in my own life, it, I felt sometimes the hand of something else, you know, you turn, you, when you, when you're on the right course, somehow the universe will turn around and help you and things will just fall into place. And I wonder where that comes from. Um, I still do believe that there is spiritual intervention, that there is something going on that is beyond us. And maybe I'm wrong, but it's a, it's a strong sense I feel. But thanks very much for that. That was really interesting and helpful.
1: Thanks. thanks. All right, let me bring in Karina next and then I'll read some more of the chat.
10: First of all, I want to thank you for this um, space you hold here. Um, I'm feeling honored that I can take part in it. I. Um, I hear that you all have a, a lot of knowledge and in the spiritual practices and so on. I am more of a lay person. I've st- studied all my life in my own way, <laughs> sort of. And um, I, w- I was interested in responding to, to your question there, Judith, because I have I, I've, I've been practicing somewhere in between. I think from what I hear from the Buddhist tradition, I am quite... Buddhist, but I have been driven by spirit my whole life, really. And and I for me it's so real that I there is no question anymore about it. And and there is something within that, that drives me and has taken me to places that I could not understand myself, but the answer comes after often. And I think also a lot about the, the the things that Andrew was talking about earlier today, that um, I think it's very much about intention, always intention. I found out that myself because I sometimes thought I had a very good intention, but then perhaps there was something sneaky in there that was not so, uh, <laughs> so good as I thought. And um, so, yes, I think it's a, a combination and... Um, And i also would like to address because i think those of you who heard me talk the last time i have some experience in living with a person who had a lot of knowledge really uh, studying a lot in spiritual realms who anyway got totally caught up in conspiracy theories and and i am asking myself those questions a lot how can we reach um the realm of, uh, of thoughts in someone who has really got lost in conspiracy theories because it's very, very difficult. And I think it's a question of like nearly uh, brainwashing reversed <laughs> in in some sense. And I don't know who's capable of, of doing it. And, and I think it's a very important topic to talk about because there are so many young people today who are, like, drawn to those forums, And what can we do really to to avoid it because it's it causes so much harm in society. That's my sharing.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Karina. Thanks for coming on and sharing. Um, I'll read a few of the chat comments, and then I'll get to Lorraine. So Michelle said, thanks, Barbara. Yes, I agree that we need to go down in the basement and see the damage. For me, my practice really helps give me the courage and clarity to do that and being okay with not knowing, not fixing, just trying to understand what might be true for another person and letting that change my set patterns of who I am and what needs to be on a subtle, felt, and often emotional level. Karen said, quote, intervention was lots of hard work by Stacey Abrams. Katie said, Thank you, Barbara, for your heartfelt sharing. I'm deeply touched by your expression of the truth you uncovered in reading cast. And Judas said, Yes, I agree. She's incredible and works so hard, but I still wonder whether those who have passed over have any interest in what happens in the world and whether the more evolved actually can influence the events of the world. I mean the more evolved, the ones who have died.
5: All right, Lorraine. Hi, okay. thanks. I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of happier to share when Andrew's gone because I'm a waffler. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking, I'm timing myself. Um, yeah, I just found so much of what was said was really, um, uh, I want to absorb just hugely um, enlightening and I appreciate so much being here. Um, I'm in Italy, I think I read in the papers that the government nearly crashed last week here or something, I have not uh, got to grips with um, the politics here I've only been here two years, but uh, I'm trying to be really succinct which I struggle with, but um, because there's so much, so many different trains of thought running for me in this but I I feel um, uh, that I'm often questioning during Andrew's talks uh, and questioning myself on you know the, is there more that that i can do you know can i sort of exit my apartment block right now and physically you know can i go and start a movement yeah i'm i'm, I'm asking myself sort of in, inquiry questions which i really uh, i feel good that i'm doing that and uh, because i'm i'm sort of waiting perhaps for well i'm looking at that which i think is really um Uh, where I want to be right now but I also look at the sort of elephant in the room and also David's talk a lot of being real Um, I like to think that sometimes the weaknesses um, that uh, I've I've held in my mind you know I've considered that I've got perhaps are my strengths you know I'd read that somewhere I think in Chuck's Spisano in the 90s you know that your weakness is true is is actually your true strength and I'm a talker and I'm also um, uh, I'm, I'm not I'm not scared to say uh, you know that the emperor's got no clothes on uh, loudly. <laughs> so I, I I like to look that maybe that's my contribution looking at my life. you know I, I, there was a pedophile lurking in the family who I outed, and my life has been uh, running away from money that's come from fossil fuel industry and always uh, speaking up. so I, i'm I, I know that's my path and I don't I'm on a line of inquiry at the moment of where does that lead into direct action you know into um, uh, the contribution to the bigger picture um, I'll just say two more things um, for fear of, of rambling but I like very much what was said by Judith about spiritual intervention I feel that very much within me I have precognition uh, experiences and I, I have no doubts within me for that's not something I could successfully debate I just feel it um, and the other thing is that Robert Thurman I think does a very good job uh, for me in in lightening the load in that I am hundred percent giving everything I've got to this life as unselfishly as I'm currently capable of doing but he he says that if you study the truth it, it puts you in a position to have uh, to know that you can afford to be optimistic and that carries me through these times. So thank you so much for letting me share. Sorry, there's no camera.
1: Thanks, Lorraine. It's always nice to hear from you. Um, I'll read a few more of the chat questions. Uh, we'll keep it open for another five or 10 minutes or so, or as long as people wanna contribute. Um, so Quilly said, maybe not beyond us, but within us, something we can't move in the same way as in the form rounds. And then Peter said, spiritual support and our own direct action. I think there's a a potent combination. Uh, David responded, yeah. Personal and community direct action and spiritual work and intention. And see Judith added, yes, within us, that perhaps connects to a wisdom that lends a hand. Bronwyn said, it's such a good question. And Carla said, regulate social media. And uh, then Dan said, deprogramming. All right. I thought it was uh, really, Andrew's answer was uh, really nice about the the banning of Trump on Twitter and whatnot. I was interested to hear what he had to say because I actually watched that video, um, which I thought was interesting too. All right, Katie, come on. You just have to hit unmute. There you go. Yeah.
11: So um, I realized that what I'm gonna say is <laughs> motivated by my need for permission and my thing about being a good girl, but. I was very inspired by Andrew's talk last time about, um, you know, how we need to look within ourselves, reflect on who we are, where we're located, what our skills are, and you know, get very centered and ask what we can do, you know, in terms of action. And so, I thought, you know, it's like a call to action. And um, I, I actually found. Uh, um, Uh, I don't know what it is because I haven't been there yet, but a friend of mine has access to a website where um, this woman who runs the website talks about all of the actions you can take to make a difference in the world. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if I put that in the chat and then Each one of us could do that kind of internal supplicating that Andrew talked about last time, asking our bodies what we can do and see if any of these things on that website match with our propensities or our inclinations, our intentions, all those things. So anyway, I was going to ask Andrew permission, but. I guess I'm asking you permission, you know? I mean, he set the stage. He said, go for it, supplicate, find out what you can do. Well, so this came to me, I found out about this website. Uh, Would you like me to put that in there or is that some kind of a weird thing to do?
1: No. No, you could share the website.
11: Okay, all right, well, I will do that next time because that means I'd have to go off and I don't have the skill to go off and come back on, so.
1: Oh, thanks, Katie. Yeah. And I'm I'm reading your comment now uh, towards Karina. Appreciate your share. I agree with the points you made. The answers are far-reaching. And one of the first questions I had when I was first entering the Buddhist path, I asked a yogi. Um, you know, can we change our motivation and Because sometimes it seemed like my motivation maybe wasn't pure. His answer was yes. Um, So we can really look at these things and change our motivation. Um, Let's see. Yeah. David asked for you to post the link, Katie. (laughs) So next time. Laura said, I'm glad you did that, David. Looks interesting. Okay. Karina. I relate so much on what you were saying here. I found that my silent quality was a real quality until one day it was not anymore and discerning when it is time for what is not always easy. And there will be a lot of opportunities for failure in both doctrines, silence and speaking out, action or passivity. Patience or showing disagreement. All
12: right, Laura. Okay, now I am, can you hear me?
1: Yes. Loud okay, and-
12: great. Yeah, uh, I just wanted to say, I find it kind of amazing. This conversation has been so great, and I appreciate everybody's contributions, but I um, Uh, Andrew had just gotten around to reading my question in the earlier part, right before he left. And I just found that everybody, everything that everybody said, touched on and addressed part of what was motivated me to pose that question. And I just wanted to comment, it's kind of amazing. I so appreciate this conversation, and I look forward to listening to it again. And it, it keeps bringing me back to the four karmas the four positive karmas. And um, I really see that as a focal point for where to study right now and where to to work and to look at in combination with my meditation practice to hopefully have that discerning between where to act as Keenan was describing how to act and where to act in which body. That By the time you get to the gross body and you're acting, how much have you missed where you could have acted in the other bodies? And so forth. But this, it seems like everything everybody said in this conversation was all connected and really helpful. So I just wanted to say that. Thank you to everybody.
1: Thanks, Laura. Yeah, and thanks for your question. It was a good one. All right, Katie, come back on.
11: Yes, um, I will put that address in when I find it. But I'm back on because I wanted to talk to Karina because I felt so, um, what's the word, stimulated by your question and i didn't feel like i could adequately address it by typing something in the chat just to say that it seems to me this issue with people who are brainwashed you know it's like a whole cultural societal issue where people have lost a sense of identity and they're they're looking for something to identify with and then like andrew said you know bottom line is it's a developmental issue so i mean it's so far-reaching in terms of why people go for these um I don't know what you call it, brainwashing or conspiracy theories or whatever. But you know, I, having this in my own family where my brother is just a true believer in conspiracy theories and understanding because my background is in psychology, totally understand developmentally how he gets to be where he is. Um, and then also understanding the whole societal um, piece you know, with with things falling apart in the society where we used to have like our tribal identities and we used to identify more with our churches and you know so so you get what I'm trying to say Karina it's just kind of like my God the answer is just so far reaching not that nothing can be done but it's just like oh my God it's huge it's huge you know so that, that I wanted to say that I didn't want to let your your comments go because I thought this is really This is profound, what you're talking about. And it's, the answer is huge. Okay, so thank you.
1: Thanks, Katie.
11: Mm -hmm. All right, Myra. Um,
3: Almost at maybe at the end, and put two things in positive note. Um, I think that listening to the poem by Amanda yesterday, I think that by itself is such a dharma class. And one of the things that she said that she realized were not broken, we are just like evolving in and going to Keenan thing. This is a never-ending because nothing is permanent and everything changes. So we are just in that evolution of contraction and expansion and contraction and expansion. And if you see it like that evolution, that's why it's so important the meditations so of what we do, do there be because you believe that there's an intervention, we have to have our hearts open to be receptive, to even notice that. And the other thing is that um, listening to uh, the president remarks also have in terms of his values, because in his, of his deep faith, um, that he, he knows that it's the beginning. And this morning in the reporting, I think that there, his hope is that the truth would prevail and that a few of us would carry this over, not because we're going to convince them by force, but by the truth. And they're reporting that even some of the people that believe in QAnon and the conspiracy, when they realized that all the deadlines have not come through, some of them were beginning to say, oh my gosh, we have been lied to, we have been doomed. So already there's an erosion of believing that maybe there's some change. So the only thing that we can do is just we do our part a little bit at a time and we just spread our energy to our immediate community and the immediate community says the goodness but it's only by our actions Uh, we're not going to be able to convince anybody any other way so we can meditate we can wish in our actions in our immediate family and immediate friends but i think there is already great hope in in some of the inspirations of what happened so at least that's my
1: prayer Thanks for that, Myra. All right, Katie, another comment?
11: Yeah, um, what Myra said and what we're talking about with Karina, it reminded me of this quote from Thomas Merton about hope. I don't know if people are familiar with him, but you know, he wrote this in a letter to a friend about hope. And I, of course I don't have it right next to me, but it's something about how you have to basically give up all hope of fruition with hope. Like you don't do an action because you think it's really gonna change the situation, you know, because it might not. In fact, it might be worse than that. It might make it worse, (laughs) whatever it is you do. He said, so you can't not act uh, because of that, but the, the hope, hope is really about doing the right thing in relationship to another person in the moment and i thought that really does it right you know and that's like that's the way to address karina's issue about you know deprogramming i mean it's as andrew talks about it's all about right relationship you know being open listening and understanding and Thich Nhat Hanh talks, talks about it too. Like that's the gift we can give. We can let these people spew their, their pain and listen to it without intervening. And then eventually, you know, they'll trust that we listen and maybe the pain will have been vented and they can see beyond it, you know? So so anyway, so I wanted to say those are two really important things that I've learned in the last year about, you know, Thomas Merton's thing about hope is give it up basically, but... It really comes down to doing the right thing in the moment in relationship with whoever you're dealing with. And then the other thing like that, I just said about Thich Nhat Hanh. Thanks,
1: Katie. So um, any final comments before we wrap it up? Feel free to chat or raise your hand. I like that the president has a dog Everyone, anyone knows me, I'm a dog person. My dogs usually talk during these things, but they've been silent, so that's good. And um, I'll just say really quickly, just a reminder. So there is a community shares event tomorrow. It's at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Everyone's invited. And then we have our movie night, Saturday night. That's 8 p.m. Eastern time. And then we have a dream group on Sunday. That's at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So I'd love to see you there. Any of those events? Peter said, I heard on a show the hill rising today that one or two one or two people in the insurrection were formerly passionate Obama voters. For me, this points to the scope and scale of the loss of striving for fulfillment, meaning, purpose, and connection. It is ultimately a false path, but it can create great harms. Yeah, thanks, Peter. I remember Andrew had a, I think it was a question from Premdas about hope and fear. I don't remember when it was, but I thought Andrew had a really nice answer about that as well. Jill said, and a cat and grandchildren. Yes, thanks for adding that, Jill, appreciate it. Well, thanks, Tim. All right. Well, I think we'll wrap it up for today. Thanks so much, everyone. I I greatly appreciate you all, you know, all of your comments. It's really wonderful to be with you. So uh, yeah, come to any of our other events. And if not, I hope to see you next week. All right. Thanks, everyone. Take care.